everybody, it's Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's February 18th, 2016. You're listening to the Recording Lounge Podcast. I hope everyone's been doing well. Things have been uh, pretty nuts around the studio and around the house lately, really. Um, so, just been pretty busy, but wanted to make sure to get a podcast out this month. Today, we're talking about something very important, and that is how to listen. Now, I can't cover everything that this could possibly cover because it's such a broad question, but specifically today, we're talking about how loud to listen or how quiet to listen, when to listen in mono and when to listen in stereo, when to use a main set of monitors and when to use other sets like headphones or reference speakers or NS10 style speakers or computer speakers. And we're also talking about uh, monitoring levels changing throughout the mix, you know, especially if you're using a monitor controller. And we're talking about ear fatigue and ear protection. All right, so let's get started. Okay, so the first thing we're talking about today is monitoring volumes. How loud should you be mixing? Now, this is something that uh, is tossed around a lot on the forums, and uh, there's some good thoughts and some bad thoughts, and you know, there's lots of things written about this in various books, and there's lots of people that have their strict opinions, but we're going to talk about the reason why this matters. Okay, first things first. There's something called the equal loudness curve. Okay, if you're not familiar with it, go look it up. It's very important to understand what it means. Basically, I'll give you a quick rundown. The equal loudness curve describes, in sort of a subjective way, how the ear responds to different frequencies across uh, different levels of subjective loudness. So give yourself a minute and look up a graph of this. Now, keep in mind, when you're looking at this, you almost have to flip it upside down in your mind to sort of imagine what it's really saying. Basically, at lower volumes, it becomes much, much harder to hear the extreme low end. Uh, And not really even extreme low end, but just low end in general. And as you get louder, as you get to a certain point of loudness, the uh, flatness of your ear essentially sort of flattens out. But as you get too loud, the high frequency, high mid frequencies sort of get funky and dipped in your ear. So the point is your ear is not flat. And not only is it not flat, it's not flat at different levels. It's different degrees of not flat at different levels. So Okay, well, what's a good level to listen to then? Well, that's the big topic for debate. Now, the probably the most common quoted figure is 83 or 84 decibels SPL, which is where our ears are apparently the most linear. But I'm going to take that one step further and say that there's a better there's a better rule. And uh, I, I learned this from reading some things written by Bob Katz. Now, Bob Katz is talking about the 80 dB rule, and he says that 80 dB is usually a much more acceptable loudness level. And it's because of something called an acoustic reflex in th- that occurs in our ears. I'm sure all of you know what this is. You just didn't know it had a name. Uh, it might also be called an auditory reflex, the middle ear muscle reflex. And it is basically when you hear something loud and you sort of brace your ears, you know, you kind of like almost like squeeze your face together, but it's involuntary. It, you don't even really notice it, but you kind of scrunch up your face a little and your ears kind of tighten in the middle and they essentially 
pad down the sound. They essentially attenuate the level, you know, if you hear something loud. So, you know, I'm sure all of you know what this is like. If you don't, turn on some music really quick and, you know, turn it up loud and you'll know what I'm saying. There's a certain point when your ears kind of start to like brace themselves. That is called an acoustic reflex or an auditory reflex. That is something that is problematic because that reflex changes the sound of your ears. I find that uh, it tends to dip the low mids and the high mids, which is, you know, and it's more like, you know, the lows also, but it tends to change the sound of what you're hearing. And that's problematic, especially when you're trying to make critical mix decisions. Uh, So you shouldn't be listening that loud. Now, where does that reflex occur? It's different for every person. Scientists estimate that it's somewhere between 70 and 100 dB SPL for most people. And uh, the big key to remember is that you have to try to notice when your starts. You have to notice that reflex happening. And if you notice that reflex happening, if you feel your ears doing that turn down your speakers because that means that not only are you not going to be hearing things accurately, but it's potentially causing some hearing damage. Now we're going to talk about ear fatigue a little bit later and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but basically Bob Katz has stated in in uh, in some interviews and some various articles that he finds that around 80 dB SPL is a little bit of a safer bet for how loud you should mix because it's it's usually below For most people, it's usually below that acoustic reflex, but it's still close enough to the recommended 84 dB SPL or 83 dB SPL, depending on who you talk to, in terms of linearity or flatness for our ear's frequency response, essentially. So some of this might be new to you, uh, and that's okay, you know, but try to start being aware of your own ears. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about fatigue and ear damage and hearing damage, hearing loss uh, a little bit later in the show. But um, so that's the first thing. Mixing around 80 dB SPL is uh, sometimes loud for people. Me personally, it's a little bit loud, and I don't necessarily like to mix at that level. However, it's important to understand what happens at lower levels. Uh, mixing at lower levels allows you to um, have really a nice <clears throat> sense of balance because your low end is reduced, your top end is reduced. And again, this isn't like in your mix, it's in your ears. This your sensitivity to those frequency regions. And so you're really hearing more uh, balance when you're listening quietly. So don't make any drastic EQ decisions in the extreme lows or extreme highs. And I really mean below, you know, 100 hertz or above, you know, 10K Uh, when listening quietly. Uh, If you're listening very quietly, I would almost avoid low and high EQ altogether until you can turn it up a little bit. But balances and panning and effects and compression and energy and those sorts of things are very nice at those levels. Um, But when you turn up a little bit to about 80 dB SPL, that's a great time to check your low end because your ear is flattest at that point. Now, again, if you turn up to that level, 
and your ears start to have that reflex turned down just a little bit or adjust the elements in the mix that are causing that reflex. It could be the kick drum, it could be the snare drum, it could be the bass, it could be a vocal, uh, and try to figure out why that is. And that can give you clues as to what is too loud, what frequency regions might be poking out too much. Often, uh, it's the low end and the high mids. that The low end, the low mids, and the high mids um, that tend to poke out a little bit too much uh, in those sorts of situations. Know, know your own ears. Try to get used to your own ears and try to figure out where you make the best mixes. If you want to test it yourself, you know, try to do a quick like 5-10 minute mix at three different volume levels. So do something very quietly. Mix really quietly, almost to a point of... You know, it's like somebody whispering in front of you. I mean, it's pretty quiet. The first click or two on your monitor controller even. Try to make a mix there. Now, try to make a mix really loud. Not past the acoustic reflex, not to the point where your ears are bracing themselves. Okay, but but let's say somewhere around 80 or 82, 83 dB SPL. You can get an SPL meter too, and, and that, you know, might help you. Um, but then try to make a mix somewhere in between and just try to do it quickly, five, 10 minutes, you know, and then, uh, give yourself a little bit of a break in between each one and go take it to the car, go take it to headphones or something and hear the differences, hear the difference in balance. You might not even try to use EQ. You might just balance the instruments and just see what type of balance decisions you made because that can give you clues as to what you're hearing. My guess is that at the quieter mix levels, you'll have more kick drum and bass guitar and potentially like cymbals and vocal in your mix than you would if you were to mix very loudly. I mean, again, it depends on the person, but that's that's a pretty likely assumption that your louder mix, your 80 dB SPL mix, and and don't get me wrong, that's not like crazy loud. I mean, it's it's loud, but it's not uh, you know it's not hurt loud. Okay, we're going to talk more about hurting or ear pain or ear fatigue later, so stick around for that. But you know, it's loud-ish. It's louder than conversation volume but not as loud as, you know, a guitar amp or a drummer playing. It's not like that. And then the mix that's in between, it's kind of up for grabs. It might be good. It might not be. But just try to get to know your ears and try to get to know your setup and, and how much loudness you really have. I do recommend trying to mix at quieter volumes. One reason being uh, it allows you to mix for a longer amount of time without uh, feeling tired. It allows you to sort of focus on balance and not worry so much about this uh, big, amazing low end and big, beautiful top end and instead focus on the mid range, which is generally uh, much more important in the long run than the lows and highs. Now, of course, make sure to check it at a higher level so you can get your lows and highs right. But in the end, the mid range is where the character of most instruments lives. So, uh, anyway. Moving on to uh, our next topic, which is mono versus stereo. Mono is dead, okay? Mono mixes are dead, but that doesn't mean that they're not important. That doesn't mean that mono is unimportant because mono is uh, much more common in the listening world than you might think. If you have two speakers on in your kitchen and you're, you know, over in the pantry or in the living room, you're hearing that sound essentially in mono. 
You know, if you've got a clock radio or a speaker in your shower or, you know, there's a speaker in the ceiling of a grocery store or, you know, that's mono. If you've listening to something on an iPhone, God forbid, that's mono. So mono is is dead on, you know, on paper, but we still hear music in mono very often. From a mix perspective, mono is really important to us because it allows us to remove a bias. And that bias is stereo separation and bigness and width. Okay, that's one of our biggest uh, factors in modern mixes is our left to right spectrum. We want things to sound wide and, you know, well, many times uh, we want things to sound large and have this sort of nice, beautiful 3D space, right? But sometimes it's really nice to remove that bias and instead focus on the balance only. Now, there's lots of ways you can do this. Almost every monitor controller has a mono button and there are probably a hundred plugins out on the market that you can get that are free that can, uh, you know, sum your channels into mono for you to put on your master bus if you ever need to. So it's really important to listen in mono because of the balance issue. Now, mono will cancel if there are phase cancellations between the left and the right. You know, if you've got, say, two microphones on an acoustic guitar and one is panned left and one is panned right and they're phasing and having strange cancellation issues, those might not sound good in mono. So you might get a false sense of, you know, the actual balance in mono. However, mono is great for removing that stereo separation. It's great for balances. It's great for EQ because, again, you're not biased by separation. So if you've got an electric guitar on the left and, uh, you know, a piano on the right or a Rhodes or, you know, or even another electric guitar on the right. When you collapse that to mono, you can really hear how much they blend and sort of blur with each other. And if you want your mix to be super wide, I mean, one of the way, one of the easiest ways to make a mix super wide is to make sure that the left and the right are, are different because as the left and the right become more and more similar, things start having cancellations and frequency masking and things sort of start uh, blurring in the middle. One of the sort of uh, situations where this isn't really talked about, but it's true, is drum bleed. Now, I'm not saying that drum bleed is a bad thing and you should always gate or automate or edit because drum bleed can be a very good thing, but sometimes it's not. If there's a lot of drum bleed, especially, because what happens is if there's a little bit of drum bleed on the rack tom and then the second rack tom and then the floor tom and then the other, let's say there's four toms total, and then you've got like snare bleed on your hi-hat mic and you've got, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These things might be panned in different locations in the stereo field. Um, and that bleed tends to sort of smear together and sort of muck up the middle of your mix, which is one reason why some people prefer the sound of samples because samples don't have bleed. It's not just that they're consistent and you know there's uh they're recorded very well and clean with nice mics and nice room mics and there's no cymbal wash but that's one of the primary reasons why samples tend to sound very clean and articulate and clear there's no bleed so 
uh, my point is the left and the right of the stereo field need to be different for the mix to sound wide and for it to have good balance when collapsed down to mono. If you have a doubled electric guitar on the left and right, it's a very high probability that they will sort of cancel in the middle. So my recommendation is, this is more of a recording and arrangement recommendation, but when recording guitars, try to make the left and the right guitar different, even if just a little bit, even if all you do is move the mic an inch or change the amp or change the pickup or I mean just try to change something just a little bit just so the left and right are different you know change guitars use a single coil on one side and a humbucker on the other or use a single you know like a telecaster on the left and a p90 on the right so they're both single coils they're both twangy but they have very different responses try to be creative and come up with ways to make the guitar on the left and the guitar on the right sound like different players so maybe be conscious about using a different guitar or playing uh, at a slightly different part on the strings. You know, if you play closer to the bridge, it's going to have a different sound. Maybe play with a different pick. Okay, try to vary some things about the left and the right. The more you can vary them, the more separated and distinct they will sound. Now, again, if the doubled sound is what you're after, you know, I still encourage you to try to change something, even if it's really subtle. Um, anyway, going back to the mono versus stereo thing. One more thing that checking mon- uh, that mixing in mono is good for, and checking your mixes in mono, is to gauge depth. Now, even if we're using stereo reverbs, mono is a great place to sort of gauge how loud those reverbs are really coming across. You know, if you can hear a reverb very obviously in mono, then it's probably an obvious reverb. If you can't really hear a reverb in mono, it might be just right for a stereo situation. But just be aware that Mono is dead in terms of making mono recordings, but it's not dead in terms of various places that we hear things in mono. So it's very important. It's a very useful tool. I highly recommend it. Um, one of my recommendations is to start your mix in mono. So if you get a re- if you have a monitor controller, and I highly recommend getting a monitor controller, pop on the old uh, mono button and spend the first. 15, 20 minutes of your mix in mono, just getting balances on things, okay? And then, once you've got a pretty good balance going of the whole mix, then switch back to stereo and uh, do the rest of your mix. Now, of course, you can always check mono every now and then, and I, I check mono very often, but... Try, I mean, in general, stereo is what you're going to be using for the majority of your mix. I mean, I would say 80%, 90% of it sometimes, but don't forget about mono. So our next topic is when to use a set of mains versus when to use a set of reference speakers. Now, what do we mean by reference speakers? I talk about this in my book, Three Dimensional Mixing, which you can get at threedimensionalmixing.com in PDF form currently and coming soon in print form. Um, But reference speakers are basically real-world reference speakers. And what that means is, They're a simulation of what your average Joe or Jane might be listening to. So this is something that might be with a home stereo or a clock radio 
or computer speakers or your laptop or your iPhone or your earbuds, right? These are all reference speakers or the car. Okay. That's obviously a really common one. Now, reference speakers are extremely important. Even, you know, no matter how good you get, it's still really important to make sure that your mix translates uh, to these types of speakers. Now, probably the most famous or infamous reference speaker people use in the studio is the Yamaha NS10. And I've got a set myself, and they do a certain thing that is uh, very interesting. And no, I don't think they sound very good, but that's kind of the point. They have a very stiff paper cone, so they have a fairly tight low end, but it's not very big low end. I mean, it's not like tons of 20, 30, 40, 50 hertz. I mean, it kind of starts rolling off about 100 Um and maybe a little bit lower, maybe 70. Uh, but the top end kind of has a little bit of a harshness to it. The high mids definitely have sort of a bump. 1K is kind of quacky and harsh on them. But nevertheless, they've sort of defined the sound of modern music in a way because of how many people mix with NS10s, even to this day. Uh, however, do I think you need NS10s to make a good mix? No, of course not. Do I think that, you know, you need some sort of magical speaker to make your mix good? No. I mean, it, it makes no sense, okay? There's no such thing as a magic speaker that, you know, oh, well, if you make it sound good there, it'll sound good everywhere. Well, that's only partly true. You know, that's what people say about NS10s. Oh, if, if you can make it sound good on NS10s, it'll sound good everywhere. Well, that's a completely subjective statement because what is good on NS10s? I've done mixes on NS10s where I've thought, man, this sounds awesome and they sound terrible everywhere else. So it's subjective to what you think good means. And yes, like any set of speakers, you have to sort of learn the set of speakers. And if you're working in the same room, you have to learn your room, however flat or not flat it is. And that's, of course, a completely different topic that uh, I would love to rant about, but we don't have time today. But you do have to sort of learn reference speakers a little bit. So don't just, you know, don't just pick up a random pair of computer speakers and hope that you can make an amazing mix on them. Use them for reference. So mix on your main speakers, but then check over on a pair of computer speakers or earbuds or a laptop or the iPhone or, uh, a, you know, not I'm not playing favorites here or, uh, you know, talking down to Apple. Uh, you can check it on a Samsung too. <laughs> uh, you know, phone speakers are all pretty bad. Um, but, uh, you know, check, check the mix on different systems. And of course, check it in the car. The car is one of the most important places to check your mix. Why? Why is the car so good at checking uh, the mix? One of the primary reasons is that it's essentially a little room with uh, flexible walls. You know, most cars these days are made of plastic basically on the outside you know they've got metal sometimes but you know there's a lot of fiberglass and so the low end can kind of just go right through those it's not a very dense space so the low end sort of just escapes the car and doesn't reflect like it might in a bedroom okay it's not like drywall so the low end in most cars and most modern cars is fairly decent and usually fairly accurate you know, it might be pretty boosted overall, but in terms of flatness, you're not necessarily going to get a lot of peaks and nulls in the response like you might in a mix room uh, because the low end isn't getting trapped and causing cancellations. It's going right out the door. So 
It's really important to check your mix in the car and primarily try to listen for balance and try to listen for the low end. Okay, don't worry so much about the top end. Um, most of the time in car systems, the low end and the top end are both boosted, you know, to create that sort of hyped effect. But if you're hearing harshness or if you're hearing that the top end sounds really bright, like overly bright, you know, you might want to check that out and address it. As always, something that's really important to do with all of your speakers, reference speakers and your mains, is spend time listening to music on them. You know, spend 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, when you're setting up or tearing down or, you know, when you're cleaning up at the end of the session, just turn on some music. You don't have to even listen to it loud. Just turn on some music and listen to it. Mixes that you like, mixes that you think sound good, you know, and just sort of you let osmosis happen with your, you know, with your room and your speakers and just let that sound get ingrained in you. And so you really know what it sounds like in your room with your speakers, you know, don't just use your speakers for work and then never listen to them ever again. Use your speakers and your monitors and your reference speakers and your car use them often to listen to music and learn how music sounds in those spaces. So, uh, one more thing to say is that uh, mic- when you're checking mixes on tiny, tiny speakers, so like laptops or um, phone speakers, be very cautious of checking balance and checking mid-range. Don't even really worry about low-end or top-end, but checking mid-range and check for balance. One of the biggest things uh, to check for is Can you still hear the vocal? Can you still hear the bass? And can you still hear the kick? Okay, and does the snare sound abnormally louder than the kick drum? That's another big one to check on tiny, tiny speakers. Um, Because what that might mean is you focused too much low end uh, in your snare and uh, not enough top end in your kick or some sort of variant of that sort of relationship you know, where you need to adjust to make sure that the kick has just enough mid- mid-range content to have an attack uh, that's not all sub. Now, if you're doing electronic music or hip-hop, that can be kind of difficult, but there are many techniques to try to get more upper harmonics out of kick drums and basses. So do your research on those and send me questions if you have them. Now, when you're checking on headphones, my advice is to ignore the low end and primarily check for detail things. So check for harshness in the vocal or in the cymbals. Check for sort of ear-splitting pain in the high mids. Check for distortions. And check for details in the actual recording. So like edits or fades that are funny or uh, anything that you might need to address. Anything that might be ringing or rumbling check for annoyances, things that might annoy a listener and, um, you know, take note of those. Now they might be good annoyances. Sometimes it's nice to grab the listener by the collar and say, Hey, listen up by having this random guitar solo pop out of nowhere and really catch your attention. But try to listen for those types of things and, uh, and, and give yourself some, uh, give yourself some notes on that when listening on headphones. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about is changing levels while mixing. Uh, This is something that I call monitor controller addiction, and uh, I've been uh, guilty of it myself. 
Uh, if you have a monitor controller, especially if you didn't have one for a long time and then you got one, you can start to realize how addicting it is to use it because it's so great to be able to turn your levels up and down, you know, right in front of you. I use the Dangerous Monitor ST. I've had it for years and I love it. It absolutely is amazing and it has revolutionized the way that I monitor. However, uh, it can become an addiction to sort of change levels a lot throughout mixing. And that is something that you should not do. Okay, try to go in chunks. Try to listen in chunks of time. So, you know, tape, put a piece of tape on your on your monitor controller if you have to. But pick a level and stay there for a while. 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Just stay there. Try not to change it very much because it can give you a false sense of dynamics, false sense of, you know, uh, how strong your mix is hitting, a false sense of transitions between sections. I found myself, you know, like, oh yeah, here comes the chorus and then I'll crank it up. But that gives me a false sense of how hard that chorus is actually hitting. So be very aware of that. Be aware of how often uh, you you adjust your monitor controller. Just for a little test, I recommend get a piece of uh, gaff tape, put it over your monitor controller knob, and and notice how many times you try to reach for it. If you feel like, wow, I, I really do try to reach for it a lot, then, uh, you know, Keep that in mind. Check yourself. Try not to adjust it too much while mixing. Try to set it and forget it. And then after you've worked in a certain volume level for a while, then turn it down or up to check it at that volume level. So, you know, try not to just go up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, mix quiet, mix loud, mix medium, mix loud, mix quiet. Don't do that, okay? It can really mess with you. The other thing is that, remember what we talked about first, about the equal loudness curve? Our ears being having essentially different frequency responses at different volume levels. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you turn down the speakers and turn them back up again and turn them down? So if you're mixing at a certain level and then the chorus comes in and you crank up the speakers, you might be like, well, what happened? Now my balance is all different, right? And you're going to start mixing the chorus and then you go you know you go into the bridge and you turn it down a little bit and then your balance changes again so you see how this is an impossibly you know there's no way to win this one okay there's no way to win that your ears are always fighting against what they're hearing and what your brain is interpreting and so try to just set yourself chunks of time okay i'm going to mix i'm going to mix at this level i'm going to put tape on the monitor controller and just call it good you know and just train yourself to do that one more thing to note, if you need to crank something up to hear details, just try to do it quickly. Like if you're trying to listen for noise or, you know, bleed or, you know, something like that, just, I mean, go ahead and crank it up, but try to remember or mark where it was before, where you were listening before. Okay. Don't, don't try to mess with your ears because realize that it will mess with your ears. It'll mess with your perception of your tonal balance. Uh, you know, the more you change your monitor controller while mixing. Now, going mono to stereo is fine, but yeah, try not to adjust the level too much. All right, and our last topic today, we're talking about ear fatigue. Now, uh, what is ear fatigue? Ear fatigue is, uh, I'm really combining two things into this. First thing, I'm, I'm combining just personal, like, I feel tired, my ears feel tired, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we're also going to talk about health and safety standards and ear damage and hearing loss. Um, so, as we've talked about, mixing quieter is nice because 
it allows you to mix for a long time and without getting tired. Mixing loudly, it kind of wears on our ears a little bit more and we can't mix, you know, for as long. So every hour, try to take just a five or 10 minute break. You know, maybe even just five minutes is fine. Just kind of let your ears rest for a second, you know, go outside. Uh, You know, if you're a smoker, go have a smoke. If you're not a smoker, go outside and enjoy nature, okay? (laughs) So, you know, just, just take a break, you know, or sit in the back of the room, answer an email, whatever. But make sure you give yourself breaks, no matter how loud you listen, just give yourself breaks. Um, Now, there are organizations that uh, have put out occupational safety guidelines. Now, the primary two, at least here in the States, we have OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Now, these people actually put out regulations and have laws, but we also have NIOSH, as I call it. I don't know if that's what other people call it, but that's the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And they have these uh, figures called Permissible Exposure Level, or PEL, uh, which is what they recommend uh, is a safe SPL level for exposure throughout the workday. Now, uh, OSHA recommends a maximum of 90 dB SPL for eight hours a day. But uh, NIOSH recommends 85 dB SPL if possible. Uh, Now, I would say that's a long time to be hearing 85 dB SPL, especially if you have no breaks. Okay, Uh, as we talked about, your your ears reflex will kick in, uh, your auditory reflex will kick in around that level, most likely. Um, so try not to let that reflex kick in, whatever level that may be, even if it's 75 for you, you know, even if you have very sensitive ears and that reflex kicks in early, try not to let that reflex kick in. However, I want to be very clear about this. The threshold of discomfort or the threshold at which your auditory reflex kicks in, um, you know, both of those things may not be the same point where you're actually uh, incurring hearing damage. What I mean by that is just because something doesn't sound loud to you doesn't mean that it's not damaging your ears. Okay, so you if you have a very high tolerance for ear fatigue, a very high tolerance for ear pain, a very high tolerance for ear discomfort, you might even have a very high auditory reflex threshold. That doesn't matter. Try to keep it under 85 dB if you can. Definitely try to keep it under 90. Now, as an audio engineer, you're you're going to have to listen to loud things every now and then. Guitar amps, bass amps, loud vocalists, uh, sometimes even trumpets can be really piercing to the ear. Obviously, drums and percussion, things like that. So you can't just not do the job out of fear of hearing loss. You probably won't, you know, get hearing loss from listening to these things for a short time. But that's the key. Try to keep it short. If you walk in the room with the drummer playing, do it with purpose. Like know what you're about to do and do it. You know, if you've got to run in there and move a mic or listen to something while he's playing, make sure you do it quickly. You know, if you got to go in and listen to a guitar amp, be very, very quick with what you're about to do. Try to avoid hearing those sounds for a long time. You really can get hearing damage. You know, it. people don't think it will happen, happen to them, but you really can. And you really can't get it back. 
Uh, you know, unless you want to pay $50,000 for a synthetic, uh, you know, bionic ear, <laughs> um, you know, and I highly doubt that will be of any good use for accuracy in a mix. Musicians are sort of very, they're very bad about protecting their ears. And as an audio engineer, you can be better. You can protect your ears. If you go to concerts, wear earplugs. If you hate the way that it sounds when wearing earplugs, invest in a good set of uh, pads. So what I mean by that is uh, there are earplugs that are made, and sometimes people call them high-fidelity earplugs, um, but you can also get them custom-molded that are basically uh, essentially just attenuates the sound level in the room while still keeping clarity and high frequencies in the sound. So that typical awful, really muffled sound when wearing earplugs that we all hate, where you can't hear the clarity in the cymbals or guitars or vocals anymore, you know, you can spend 15 bucks and get a set of Edemotic uh, earplugs online. Uh, that's E-T-Y-M-O-T-I-C. Uh, they're called Eddie Plugs. You can also get them from Heroes, the well-known earplug manufacturer. You can find any of these on Sweetwater or Musician's Friend or almost anywhere, really. And they're only like 15 bucks. But if you go to a lot of concerts or if you're a drummer and you play loud often and you don't like wearing earplugs or headphones, I would highly invest in getting custom-molded attenuators that you can wear while you're playing your instrument. Same if you're a guitar player. You know, if you're traveling or playing gigs a lot, I highly recommend them, especially if you're using an inner system. Just do yourself a favor and get custom molds. They really do work better than just the ones that you kind of stick in your ear. The custom molds really are worth it. And your ear only changes shape a couple of times throughout your life. You know, they say it changes a lot, obviously, when you're a kid. Uh, but once you hit about 20 or 25 years old, somewhere in that region, you know, your ear might change once or twice for the until the end of your life, you know, so... I definitely recommend custom molds if uh, if you can afford them. Uh, so, one last thing to talk about when it comes to ear fatigue. Mixing loudly, you know, should be done, and it should be done sparingly, just like listening to loud stuff in a, in a live room. But just keep in mind what you're actually listening for, you know, and, and, and keep in mind checking your ears and listening to your body, you know what I mean? Try to get in the habit of mixing at sort of a mid-volume uh, where you don't get too obsessed with mixing super quiet or too obsessed with mixing super loud. But try to try to get in the habit of mixing at sort of like a mid-volume, maybe like conversation volume or a little bit higher. And then only crank it up every now and then just to check out. Check out your low end. Check out how things are pumping. Check it out if it's distorting your speakers. Check out for harshness, things like that. Things should sound pretty good loud still, but... Uh, like they say, in general, if it sounds good quiet, it'll probably sound good loud. That is, again, a sort of general colloquialism when it comes to uh, the audio domain, uh, like the NS10. You know, if it sounds good on NS10s, it'll sound good everywhere. Well, if it sounds good quiet, generally speaking, it will sound good loud, but that may not apply in the low end. Okay, just be very cautious of that. The low end, below 200 hertz even. Uh, make sure you check that when you check loud. All right, so I know this wasn't the sexiest podcast that I've ever done, but it's really important to understand how your ears work, how your monitoring system works, and how they all interact, and how you should listen, and how you should sort of 
interact with that whole system and what's safe and what's unsafe, you know, and how, you know, these are all things that you just figure out over time. I'm hoping to sort of advance some of the things for you and maybe give you some things to think about. Um, but in general, these are some good guidelines that you can follow and uh, to, to start to get to know your ears and your monitoring environment a little bit more intimately. So, as always, if you have questions, comments, requests, please email recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure if you like the podcast, go over to iTunes and leave me a good review. Five stars if you really like it that much. I appreciate all the reviews that are there so far. Uh, It makes me feel great and makes me want to keep doing the podcast. Um, You can donate to the podcast over at the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com. There is a small donate button. I've received a handful of donations from people, and it's so appreciated. I try to respond to every single one with a thank you personally. Uh, so I very, very greatly appreciate that. You know, I, I don't get paid to do this podcast. I don't advertise. Uh, you know, I don't, I have to pay for bandwidth and space and uh, domains and all those things, uh, especially for hosting all of the actual podcast episodes or, you know, every single time I get one, it starts to pile up more and more space. So I appreciate the donations. It helps a lot. Uh, you can check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash recording lounge. Be a part of the community there. Leave me questions there. Send me messages, uh, interact and uh, be a part. I do freelance mixing and mastering work. If that's something that you need and would like to have me do for you, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, and we we can discuss rates and uh, how the process looks. You can send me your files through Dropbox or WeTransfer or some service like that. I'll mix it and I'll send it back, or I'll master it and send it back. Uh, so we can talk about more details. If that's something you're interested in, please send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash recordinglounge. I've been getting lots of uh, you know positive reactions to the YouTube channel. I'm glad that you guys are liking it. I don't have a ton of videos up right now, but I've got a handful. I recently uh, posted a couple videos on there about drum recording and another one about acoustic guitar recording so check it out again the link is is youtube.com slash recording lounge you'll get to see some videos of my studio and of me uh, recording some people and uh, you'll get to see uh, various techniques and tips and even though i am a nuendo user uh, most of the videos apply equally in all daws so yeah check that out like comment, subscribe to me on YouTube, let me know how I'm doing. And again, if you have suggestions for videos, just send me an email. Now, one more thing I just want to mention one more time is some of my favorite podcast episodes that I've ever done and some of the fan favorites have been from listener suggestions. That's right. Listeners like you. Hey, I'm talking to you. Yeah. Listeners like you have sent me emails and said, hey, why not try a podcast about this? And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, but some of my favorite ideas, some of the ones that really make me think and some of the ones that really make others think have come from emails from listeners. So again, thanks for all the people who have sent me great podcast ideas through email. And if you want to suggest something, don't be afraid. Don't have any reservations. Don't think, oh man, maybe he won't read it or what. He probably gets so many emails. 
you know, try it anyway, especially if you've never emailed me before. Give it a shot. You know, I usually try to respond to every single email that I get. As miraculous as that may sound, I really do try. Um, you know, most people that would tell you uh, I, I'm pretty darn good about responding to emails. So um, I can't always get to it immediately, but I try my best. So if you have suggestions or podcast ideas, you know, shoot them my way, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your month. I will talk to you guys next time. I've got some cool shows planned uh, coming up in the future. I've got another show. Get ready for it where we're mixing a song start to finish and it's coming this spring. I know you guys are excited about that. So uh, yeah, I'll talk to you guys next time.